feeling nice and healthy this morning? Hopefully, if you're not, you're not here. So for those of you who chose to stay home and you're listening to, listening to this later on, on on the website, thank you for loving your family and protecting us. I, I have to confess that um, the influenza B virus has kind of infiltrated the Wayman household. I think I got it first. It started on last Sunday. So, you know, I, on my birthday, I got the flu. Woo! Um, I am on the tail end of that, but both of my boys have been home pretty much all week. And so this is my hugging you from afar. I love you too much to, to shake your hand or give you even a fist bump right now. Um, but I love you. And this is too big a month for me not to be here uh, because this month, as we do every year in January, is our vision month. It's a time for us to pause from specifically working through a book or whatever theme we're doing, and it's, it's a time for us to pause and reflect upon what is God is calling us to do. And we clearly feel like God has been giving us a deeper understanding of what he's calling us to do and to be as a church this year. And so first couple of weeks, let me just kind of, for those of you who may have missed the first couple of weeks, let me just go ahead and ramp in by reminding us of what we've already spoken about, and then we're going to go deeper today into what we started to unpack last week. We began on the first Sunday of January talking about our purpose as a church, as we always do. The purpose of our church, can we throw it up here, is, let's just go ahead and read this together. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. Our primary purpose as a church is to make disciples. And then what does it look like to be growing as a disciple? That we're growing in our love of God, that we're doing life with one another so that we can ultimately shine into the lives of the people around us. But the being a disciple is the primary focus of our church. And this is nothing new or groundbreaking. There's so many other churches around the world who would say, yeah, that's exactly what we're about, which is kind of a good thing because we kind of feel like we stole this from Jesus, right? This is nothing new to Lighthouse. But when we talk about disciple, I want to be really clear. We are not talking about making people better students of the Bible, end of story. Yes, it's important that we understand God's word. Yes, it's important that we understand what it reveals about his heart, that we have our own quiet time that we're spending in there. But at the end of the day, no information has ever led to long-term transformation. What we have found is that true transformation takes place through relationship. First with God, and then with one another. There's a reason why Jesus' invitation was never think this theologically and pray this prayer, and certainly you're, you're good to go. His invitation was always follow me because it was about relationship. It was about walking together. And so the first way that we begin to grow as disciples is by leaning into our power source, by abiding in Jesus Christ. So when you think about this light that represents you and me and every other follower of Jesus Christ, the only reason that light is glowing right now is because it's got this part that is screwed into the base, into the power source. That's loving God, and that's what we do primarily on Sunday mornings, is we remind ourselves who we're worshiping, and we pursue Him together. But it should be happening throughout the week as well, not just here. Secondly, we are growing in our relationship with one another. You heard Jeff earlier talk about life groups. This isn't just another program that we're like, this is a good idea if you want more out of it. Life groups is the primary way that we grow here at Lighthouse. 
because it's within life groups. It's like that filament, that messy part that's all spun around. That's the life on life, kind of doing life together, being known, grappling with the conversations that begin on Sunday, grappling with perhaps uh, something that has come out of your own quiet time, bringing the brokenness, the heaviness, the prayer requests that you have to other people and saying, I need to grapple with this with others and walking together with other fully committed followers of Jesus, which is kind of our working definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is not a student. A disciple is a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that as we do those things, as we spend more time investing in our relationship with God, and as we do life with one another, what we see is that our lives, God bless you, are are naturally begun to shape more and more to be a reflection of Jesus' life. And in the early church, uh, there was a group of people that started calling the followers of Jesus Christians, right? You've heard that term Christian before, hopefully. That term Christian was not a compliment. It was intended actually as kind of a slap to the face, as a derogatory put down, because Christian means little Christ. Oh, you little Christs. But the early church is like, well, yeah, that's exactly what we want to be. And so they took that derogatory term that was meant to put them down and they wore it as a badge of honor. That's, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. We want to, be, we want to become examples of reflections of his heart. So that's what we're about is becoming reflections of Jesus' heart. But... That is not the end in and of itself. That's simply a means to an end. Because have you ever thought about the reason why if, if, if God's desire is for us to be in relationship with him and to deal with sin, then why on earth, once we give our hearts to him, wouldn't he zap us out of here and take us to be with him? That's all we want. But the reason is because once he's restored us back into relationship, he's, our purpose is also reinstated. It's not just our identity as his followers, it's, his, it's our purpose as his ambassadors, as his light bearers into this world. And that's precisely what Jesus basically came to do. He came to, to, to be a light bearer, and then he turned to his disciples and said, you too are going to be doing what I have been doing. You are going to be my representatives in the neighborhoods and the workplaces and wherever God has sovereignly planted you, that is where you're going to be a reflection of me. And last week, we looked at that commission, the Great Commission that many of us know. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn there. But you don't need to because we're going to put it up here on the board. This is the final commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he he, uh, kind of ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us. He said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not leaving you, but I'm giving you my spirit to be with you. So now go make disciples. So the very thing that Jesus had been about, he now said, okay, you guys now, you've been following me, you've been learning from me, you've been shaped by your proximity to me. Now I want you to go and continue to do what I have been doing. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have inherited that same commission to go make disciples. But as we talked about last week, and I'm not going to dwell on it a lot now, if you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the message from last week. You can either grab a CD on the back or you can listen to it on the website, lighthousecommunity.com. But as we talked about last week, that word go is very, very important to how we understand 
what we've been commissioned to. Because the way we read that can help us avoid two extremes. One extreme it helps us avoid is this kind of passive, attractional model of church that is is alive and well in the Western church. It's kind of the posture we take, but that we're finding just does not work. It's a posture that says, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait for people to kind of find their way to us. And when they come, we'll share the gospel with them, but we are going to sit cocooned in our nice climate-controlled building and hope that the world will find its way here so that they can be introduced to Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, with the rise of things like the internet and football on Sundays. Tony, I love the fact that you're here. Good, good luck to Green Bay. Um, with the rise of all of these other things that are competing for our attention, there's a lot of people that say, why do I even need that? Why would I want to go? And so we're finding that the attractional model of church just doesn't work anymore. But that word go also helps us avoid the other extreme, which is this mindset that has actually been percolating within the church for a really long period of time that suggests that because the word is go, and in our translations into English, it's like a, an imperative command, you got to go somewhere, we bought into the belief that you have to leave your context, leave your place where you're normally at, and, and cross borders. Go halfway around the world if you want to to do what Jesus is calling us to do and to make disciples of all nations. And certainly there are people who have that call upon their life. We call them missionaries. We support a handful of them here in the church. We got Don and Jill who have been for the last two months down in Costa Rica preparing a place for a lot of you who are going to go down and join them in about a week-long missions trip down there. But what does that mean for the rest of us who aren't going? What does that mean for the rest of us who have not been called to full-time missions work in another country or in another context? Does that just mean that we really can't fulfill the Great Commission and it's only for a small percentage of people? Does it mean that we are sinning because we're not going to other countries? And the answer is no. It's just the way that we tend to read that. Because there are four verbs in the Great Commission. Go, make as in make disciples, baptize, and teach. And of those four verbs, three of them are imperatives. Make disciples, baptizing them, and teach. Those three things are commands that we are called to do. But the, the, the verb go is not a command. It's a verb that is in passive tense. It's in other words, it's saying more like as you're going. And it's, even, it's not even something that you necessarily control because it's... Proverbs 16 reminds us, in his heart a man plans his path, but it's ultimately the Lord that directs his steps. We recognize that God is the one who moves us through life and places us in places. In a couple of weeks, Jean and Michelle are going to find themselves in a totally different context. It's going to be a lot colder in Idaho. But God will use them there. And he, they have found that their circumstances with where they were living helped that. Their desires that God has placed on their hearts, some people that... that God has, you know, allowed them to walk with for a part of time that are part of their sphere of influence or kind of drawing them there. And so their circumstances are moving them, but we believe that behind their circumstances is a sovereign God who's saying, I am moving you here. What we saw in the book of Acts, and what we're going to see when we dive back into it in February, is that the early church, they were propelled by persecution. 
And for some of us, we're going to find that persecution may close doors that we would have otherwise wanted to walk through. Maybe you get a job, maybe you lose a job. Behind all of this is a trust that God is sovereign and He's moving us where He wants us. And in the midst of as we go, we make disciples of the people He's placed around us. The people He's he's placed near us in our own homes or in our extended families, or in our neighborhoods where we live, or the the friendships that we've cultivated over the course of our life, in our workplaces or in our schools, and even the places we hang out, whether it's the dog park or the beach if you're a surfer, or uh, the, the places that you shop, the places you exercise, God has placed people in your life, and He's invited you to be His light, to shine brightly. Now, The Great Commission is by far the most well-known of these commands for us to go and shine the light of Jesus Christ, but in no way is it the only one. Let's take a look at three others. Uh, This first one is from Jesus. It's part of the the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to huge crowds of people, but at at one point in the early part of his his, his Sermon on the Mount, he zeroes in on his disciples or in a ring right around him, and he looks right at them and he says, you are the light of the world. Now remember, Jesus was the one who came and said, I am the light of the world. But now he's looking at his disciples saying, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you take a light and and, and put it under a covering. No, you put it up on a stand so that it can give light to the whole household. And in the same way, let your light shine amongst others that they might see your good deeds, not so that they would glorify you, but so that they would glorify your Father in heaven. That's the reason that we allow our lives to shine, not so that people will be impressed with us or people will be attracted to us, but that people will be drawn to the one who has transformed our heart and want to know more about why we believe what we believe, and ultimately they would start to call Jesus not only their Savior, but their Lord. Next one. This is Paul in, in the book of Ephesians. He says, you were once darkness, but now, you're child, now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. You were once blinded by sin. You were once separated from God and there was nothing you could do to even make a spark in the darkness of this sin-darkened world. But now, because God has placed His Spirit within you, now you are a child of the light. So live like it. One last one. This one's from Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, as as foreigners and exiles, or maybe you, you memorized as aliens and strangers living in this world, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. From the things that your flesh naturally gravitates, avoid it like the plague. Live such good lives amongst the the non-believing world around you that although they accuse you of evil, although they accuse you of using your faith like a crutch, although they accuse you of being bigoted, they'll see your good deeds. They'll see the way you live. They'll see the way you love. They'll see the light that naturally pours out of your life, and they will glorify God on the day He visits. Ultimately, that they will come to be followers of Jesus Christ themselves, and that God will become their God. So three different voices from three different books saying exactly the same thing. 
Our rabbi, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, came into this world to give light to the world, not so that people would be drawn to him, but so that they would ultimately be drawn back to the Father, so that he could take the law, that the Pharisees had, had, had held on to the letter of the law, but completely missed the heart. And he said, no, I want to reveal the heart of God again, because you've missed his heart. You become legalistic. You become unloving. You have used the law like a... You, you've torn it out of its context of love, almost like taking a branch out of a tree and using it like a cudgel to try to force people to do what you think they should do, but there's no love in it. And instead, I've come to reveal the heart of God again, found in the law, but only found when you know who God is. So Jesus came as a light, and then he looks at us and he says, you are the light, so now go live as if you are the light. Now, I have a confession I need to make. I have, I have preached this for years, and I believe it with all of my heart that we are the light and that we are the church, but when it comes down to how I actually operate as a pastor of Lighthouse and, and, and churches prior that I was a part of, I can't, it has been so hard to shift my mind away from the attractional model that says it's about the church. I have actually, as much as I've said we are the church, when it, when it came to how I was judging how we were doing as a church, it was always based upon the attractional kind of, of things of what does success look like. Success looks like how many people are coming on a Sunday and how big our events are when we do things like trunk or treat or other things like that. Oh, we have more people than we did last year. It's success and all that fun stuff. I have, in my mind, continued to think of Lighthouse as the beacon in Costa Mesa, that, that the best way that we can shine brightly is to get, pack more and more people into the pews and more and more people into whenever we do a function. And I think part of that is because our name kind of lends itself there, right? We call ourselves Lighthouse. Therefore, you start thinking of this as a house of light. But what I'm reminded of, what God used the missional pathway last year to absolutely kind of give me a paradigm shift was the fact that we, not this building, not even this organization of Lighthouse Community Church is the light in, in, in not only in Costa Mesa, but far beyond Costa Mesa into Huntington Beach and Newport Beach and Santa Ana and wherever we happen to find ourselves going with work. You and I, not this place, are the light that God is using to light up Costa Mesa. And here's how I found that realization. It was on the fourth of the four Saturdays that we had a, a missional pathway conversation. And one of the things that we were tasked with doing was to go on a prayer walk. And on this prayer walk, we were basically asking the question, God, what are you calling us to do as a church? Where are you calling us to invest ourselves? And I'm thinking in the back of my mind that he's going to point to the Avalon apartments and say, invest there. Some of the people in your church are going to need to move there, right? <clears throat> or or uh, Mariner's Elementary School, because it's right down the street. And they you know, there are kids and teachers who desperately need hope. So I'm thinking it's going to be like a, someplace in the footprint of Lighthouse. So I, I leave the family room, which is right across the street. I hook a left, and I start walking down Magnolia Street right here. And as I'm walking, I pass the first few houses, and I know the people who live there because we have interactions with our, our most direct neighbors. But then about the fourth house, I realized, I don't know who lives there. 
And I'm looking at the, that particular door. It's locked and the, the, the blinds are drawn. The lawn is manicured and, and the, you know, all the hedges are clipped. It looks all put together. The picket fence is nice and white. But I don't have a clue who lives inside. I don't know the hopes and dreams, the hurts and the disappointments that they carry. And I started thinking to myself, like, are we even a, are we even a light to our, our neighbors living within the shadow of the church? I kept walking, and I hooked a left at the first, and then I, I hooked another left, and I started doing a walk around the block, and so I found myself on Broadway now. As I'm walking back that way, I, I walked right past Tony and Karen Pekka's home. I'm a, I, I have to admit that I'm a little bit of a, an extrovert. And so even though this is a prayer walk we were supposed to be doing by ourselves, I might have gone and knocked on their door. Or I might have actually just gone and let myself in. I'm not quite, I don't quite remember how it happened, but I found myself sitting in one of the chairs next to Karen who was putting her shoes on and we started having a conversation. I just wanted to check in on him because I hadn't seen him in a while. Both of them were dealing with some sickness, so I just wanted to go and say hi. And as I'm sitting there talking to Karen, I looked up and I saw a, a book that she had folded in the shape of a heart, kind of like this one up on the screen. Can we throw it up there? So she had done something similar in one of our, our Women's Connections event where they were doing folding of books. And it was like, it was beautiful. I'm like, Karen, that's awesome. And she's like, yeah, I really enjoyed making that. But that's not for me. That's actually for my, next, for my neighbor a few doors down whose mom just passed away. And a little bit later today, I'm going to go over and I'm going to give her the book. Um, because she just needs to know that she's loved, and I think that she needs just some arms around her. And it struck me. Karen's neighbor that she was going to take the book to is one of those homes that I walked by, and I didn't know, have a clue who lived there. I didn't know her, that woman's hopes or her hurts. I had no idea that her mom had just passed away, but Karen did, because she lives in proximity to her, and through their proximity, they have done life together. And so although... She lives in the shadow of lighthouse. This church was not a light to her, and even Jeff and I were not lights to her, but Karen was. They got me thinking about the other people who call lighthouse home, and I started thinking about some of you who live down in Huntington Beach in cul-de-sacs that I never go to, but you know the people who live there, or down on, um, you know, down on Balboa Island or on Lido Island or in Santa Ana, on your block. I, thought of, I started thinking about those of you who worked at, at, at schools and were teachers, some of you who work at other businesses surrounded by people I will never meet that will never step foot in this church. And I began to realize, you guys are light bulbs that God has strategically planted all over our county, not just within the boundary of Costa Mesa, but beyond it. And here I am thinking that the best way for us to make an impact in our city is to draw all of you out of those spheres of influence, pull you over to our campus to either invest yourself over in uh, you know, a set of apartments that at that point we didn't even have a single person living in. I, who lived across the street from it, didn't know a single person living there. Or, or, or to do events like Trunk or Treat or other things like that where people are drawn to our campus. I began to realize, no, 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 no. I've been thinking about this all wrong. I've been thinking about this like an attractional church. But we're the church, and we are the light. You and me and every other man, woman, and child that calls Jesus Savior. And God has strategically planted you 
in a sphere of influence to invest in the people that he has tapped you on the shoulder and said, that one, I want you to walk with that one. I want you to invest in that one. God has kind of sovereignly given you access to people's lives to be able to impact them. So why on earth would I want to pull you away from that to try to manufacture relationships when you already have relationships? Because you're the light. This isn't the light. But if that's the case, and I am convinced that it is, then what's the point of this? What's the point of this place? What's the point of of making an access ramp that makes it easier for our oldest and our youngest people to be able to get in easier? What's the point of at some point upgrading the lights so that more than eight of the 18 lights actually, you know, that we can have some light in Lighthouse? I don't know. What's the point of that? It's just a box. Why do we even gather here on Sunday mornings? Why wouldn't we be at home getting, you know, all of the food ready so that we can watch the Green Bay Packers win or lose? It really doesn't matter to Jesus, but I know it matters to you and Marge, so, you know, that's cool. Maybe it does matter to Jesus, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's handsome, whatever. This has gotten awkward, hasn't it? Yeah, let's just, let's just chalk that up to Influenza B speaking right now, shall we? Okay, so what's the point of this? What's the point of gathering between 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning? Or for some of you, 10.15 and 11.30, all right? Uh, Yeah, Mark, I saw that hand. What's the point of life groups? What's the point of gathering on uh, on this campus or in people's homes throughout the week? Why do we do what we do? Well... God kind of answered that on that walk as well, because as I was walking down the street, I, I happened to look up, and I saw some power lines running down the street. And those power lines carry power to each of the homes so that the lights in those homes will light up, so that when it gets dark, the lights will shine in the darkness. And that's when it dawned on me, no, no, we talk about lighthouse as if we are the house of light, as if we are the beacon, but the reality is lighthouse is more the power station that is there to help equip and energize the lights, you and me, to shine more brightly and more faithfully in the spheres of influence where God has sovereignly planted us. And therefore, it becomes our responsibility. This time, and our life groups, as much as they are important, they are not the point of church. They're not the be-all, end-all. You come in on a Sunday, that's not like church is done because you're the church. This isn't church. And that means that this time is more like a staff meeting where all of the light bulbs, all of the ministers of Jesus Christ, all of the men and women who have been called to represent and shine the light of Jesus Christ in their spheres of influence come together to remember who they're serving, to fix our eyes on him and worship him, to be polished up, trained up, equipped up, so that we can go back out and do what we were called to do. That's the point of this time. That's the point of our life groups, where you can walk with a few other people and grapple with, what does this really mean to me, real time? Here's the stuff I'm carrying right now. How do I proceed? And just just to lean on one another, because we were not created to do life alone. So that's the point, is that Lighthouse community is there to equip the church, namely you and me, to go and be and do what God has created us to be and do, namely to be the light that that reflects his heart and, and, and pushes back the darkness so that others 
who are stumbling in the darkness might find their way back to him and find the same hope that we found. And this is the same thing, by the way, that Paul articulates in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one. It's yours. We have extra. If we don't have extra, we'll buy more because I want you to have one. We want you to have one. But we're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, which is towards the middle of the New Testament. So if you find yourself in Acts or Romans, keep going right. If you find yourself in Revelation, turn left. If you find yourself in like maps, way too far left or right. And and of the, the four kind of primary letters, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is how I've always remembered it. So General, oh, we're going to electric today, which is fitting, isn't it? Talking about being the light. So let's go to electricity. Ephesians chapter 4, this is a passage where Paul is talking about the fact that Jesus came and disseminated gifts to his people, gave gifts. And one of the gifts he's given to his people is is different roles and responsibilities, different giftings to help build up the church. And so we're going to jump in here in verse 11, which is mid-conversation, but... For, for lack of time, let's go ahead and dive in here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. I love that word mature. I had, somebody gave me a card actually this week uh, for my birthday that said, you, you can't stop getting older, but you can stop getting mature. Something like, like, yeah, you get the point. For whatever reason, they thought that was fitting for me. So, Yeah, it was. God has given apostles, prophets, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, let's talk about each of those roles for just a moment. And I know that we could spend an entire day just unpacking those few verses that I just uh, read. But apostles, those, the, 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 that means a sent one, somebody who has been sent by God to represent him. And the apostles in the early church, these were the groundbreakers. They were the ones who would go to places that had not heard the gospel, share the gospel, and establish new churches, new communities of Christ followers. Today, we wouldn't call somebody an apostle, but we might call them a missionary or a church planter, somebody who just feels called to go and establish community in places it has not been before. Then you have prophets. Prophets, we often think of prophecy as somebody who tells the future, um, but a prophet was primarily somebody who spoke the words of God. And in the day before before all of the New Testament was compiled and codified, to use Jeff's favorite new word, um, together into what we have where we can kind of go, hey, here's the heart of God. Are we in alignment? God used prophets more often than not to go to the church and say, what are you doing? You've totally missed the heart of God. Now, for that reason, because they challenged the status quo, prophets were not all that popular. 
people who prophetically kind of challenge the status quo, even in systems today, are not very popular, but they're necessary. Because it's like a pain receptors in your nervous system that tells you, hey, you're hurting yourself. You don't realize it, but stop what you're doing because otherwise you're going to have lasting damage. That's what the prophets were in the early church, and there are still people today who God uses as a corrective agent to say, hold up, think about what you're doing. Remember your first love. Then you have evangelists. These are the kind of people who love God and are so committed to making sure his name is heard that they will go into any context and they have never met somebody they're afraid to share Jesus' name and the gospel with. These are the kind of people who are out, sometimes standing on a soapbox, sometimes just grabbing people and saying, hey, we need to talk. I want to tell you about Jesus. And we have a bunch of you here in this church, and I'm so unbelievably grateful for that. I'm grateful for Rainier, who he goes to Starbucks, and then he's in the line, he's talking to people about Jesus. I'm grateful for Pearl, who this week said, hey, Eric, I'm so glad that you're focused on helping people, but, but what about the gospel? What about sharing Jesus' name? And I'm going, yes, I'm so grateful that God has, has given you, burdened your heart with that. I'm grateful for Marcel who's going, hey, I love to run, but I love to run and share Jesus' name while I'm running. Or maybe when we're taking a break. I'm not sure how you do that because I can only do one thing at once, right? And I don't run a whole lot. But you get the idea. Evangelists are the kind of people who are sharing their faith and they cannot do anything other than that. And then you have pastors and teachers. Now, sometimes those two things are separated. Sometimes people are pastors, which is kind of synonymous with a shepherd, and sometimes there's just teachers, people who can kind of explain God's heart, but they're really kind of not very good at walking with other people. But more often than not, within the church, you've got those two things kind of combined. And even grammatically, there's some indication that they, they go hand in hand. Pastor teachers are the kind of people, well, you've got the you know, apostles who are breaking new ground, and you've got the prophets who are speaking from the outside saying, hey, be careful. And you've got the evangelists who are out gathering people. You've got the pastors and the teachers who are caring for the flock, kind of like Jeff and I have been called to do and entrusted and, and, and with, I should say, here at Lighthouse. And, and, and our role is twofold. One is to open God's word and it kind of help make sure that we don't forget the heart of what it's saying to us, because this is for us. This, this points us back to the one whom we're following and helps to reveal his heart. So one part is to make sure that what we are eating, the, the, the truth, is true. The second part, though, is to walk with and care for the flock as a shepherd does and to look out for predators, to look out for false teaching that could, could kind of worm its way in and potentially rip apart, to look out for conflict because I've got news for you. We may all love Jesus, but our, our, our similarities often stop not too far from there. And there are people in here who are going to vote differently in the coming election. There are people in here who are at different educational levels. There are people in here, even in our life group, we just started a new life group this last Wednesday, and just going around the table and realizing, man, we come from such different backgrounds, and I love it because we all get to be united. But, but when you have different perspectives and different people doing life together, well, think about your home over Thanksgiving, right? Friction can happen. And, a, and the pastoral part is that we are called to help navigate those kind of things. 
called to walk with people who are hurting. Certainly, Jeff and I can't be the only ones caring for hurting people because there's a lot around us. But we find ourselves doing a lot of either hospital visits or checking up on people, oftentimes going, hey, we haven't seen you in a few weeks. How are you doing? So all of these, though, all four or five, however you want to look at it, of those roles have a specific purpose for why Jesus gave those giftings, gave those propensities, and then called people to live out of them. And the purpose is found in verse 12. To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. So what's the purpose? To equip God's people for works of service. Now who are called to do works of service? Yeah, all of us, the people. Who's the people? We the people, right? So, so you and I, but not I as a pastor, I as a follower of Jesus Christ who happens to live a block down the street, who happens to work at Lowney House Community Church, who happens to take my dog to Harper Park a couple of times a day because otherwise she has way more energy than even my boys, which is saying something. I, who happens to have my sons go into a particular school and who likes to go and exercise every once in a while over at uh, the YMCA, I and you, who have a different sphere of influence, have been called to be the light of Jesus Christ. We have been given different gifts. I don't have the same gift that Robin does or any of the gals up here. I can't play the piano. I can't play the guitar. I can make an unholy noise to the Lord if I were to pick up one of those instruments, right? I'm not that great at finances. I'm grateful that there are some of you who are. I'm not that grateful at fixing things. Quite often, I have the spiritual gift of deconstruction. Some of you have the spiritual gift of reconstruction. I'm not great at fixing people's bodies, but some of you have a real ability for doing that as either a nurse or... or, I, I will be honest, I'm not the most nurturing person on the planet, I'm grateful for my wife and many of you who are more nurturing and are more patient. We have each been given different gifts. And what Ephesians 4, the whole of it, but the part that we've looked at is just a piece of it. The whole of it is saying that we each have different gifts and we are called to utilize those gifts as we do the things that God has called us and equipped us to do or at least called us to do, and and given us the propensities, the giftings for. So then, once again, I ask the question, what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to equip you to be able to use the gifts that God has given you to do what he has called you to do, to serve both the, the body of Christ in order to build it up, but also to live as a light in the sphere of influence where he has planted you. Now, I love that word equip. Because that word equip, can we throw it up on the board? To equip a person means to train them up so that they can do what they were created by God to do. That is our job, is to help to train you, to give you opportunities to practice the giftings that God has given you, life groups. While this might sometimes feel like a lecture, and I'm sorry if it does, our life groups become more the lab where you guys get to process these things. Even more so, 
the six and a half days that we are not spending together in here, that you are out there, that becomes a lab where you are working it out and then you come together and you go, okay, how's it going? Maybe, maybe let's change this up a little bit. This is the lecture. That's, life is the lab. And then your life groups become your study group where you're processing to prepare for going back out and being the church. Does that work? Works for me, so hopefully it does for you. So this makes sense on an intellectual level, but what does this actually look like? What does it look like for a lighthouse, this body and particularly this staff, to equip you to do and to be what God has called you to do and to be? Well, that's where I I just kind of want to give a couple of examples today of how we are going to be intentionally equipping you. The first thing the first tool that we have is something I introduced to you to last week. And if you did not, if you were not here or you didn't get one, would you please raise your hand right now? Because I have some ushers who will be passing these out to you. We want to make sure you have one. These will always be available from here until, well, until we run out and then we'll order more. Um, I was going to say until Jesus comes back, but that might come first. This is a tool that we have stolen from another church because, quite honestly, they've spent 35 years developing it, so why reinvent the wheel, right? There's nothing new under the sun. But this tool is, is in, intended to help you identify your sphere of influence, the 8 to 15 people that God has kind of sovereignly planted in your life. I have more than 15 people that live on my, in my neighborhood, but on my list, I only have two of their names on here because there's two of my neighbors in particular that God has kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, that one. I have my whole family, at least, that lives in my house, me, my wife, both of my sons, and my mother-in-law, because we kind of live together. It's pretty hard not to kind of influence them and to be influenced by them. Last week, I, I didn't actually put my staff on here, but the reality is I'm very influenced by my staff, and I know that they are influenced by our proximity together. So they, def- they definitely need to be on there. Um, Sadie. Oh, Sadie. Yeah. <laughs> my little girl, my little dog, right? Yeah, she, she, I'm on her list for sure. I'm number one on her list. Um, I, anyway, the purpose of this is, one, to identify who those people God has planted in your life. I even have a checker over at Ralph's that, that we frequent because for whatever reason, God has just said that one. And my wife and I both know her and often give her hugs and are talking to her and she knows my family and we're getting to know her. I know you got to talk to her last week. And Posh. I love that. I love that. I love that. Don't tell everybody else that who's on my list that they're on my list, all right? But it, it, anyway. But here's the thing. Number one, identify who those people are. Number two, begin to pray for them daily by name. Or if you forget a day, oh, Jesus isn't going to strike you down or anything. Okay? But when they come to mind, it's gotten to the point where I know who's on my list. I don't even need to pull it out, but I keep it in my Bible. And during the week, I also put it up uh, at my desk. If you want to take a couple so you can have a couple different, different places, that's fine. But begin to pray for them by name. And then begin to go, God, what are some opportunities? Just, just open my eyes to opportunities to kind of be able to interact with them. I keep running into Mike, who's got his dog, Big Guy, and, and get to, even last night, coming back from the park, there he is, and we were talking a little bit. Building relationship. And then one day, at some point, it might be, hey, you know, I want to invite you to come. We're going to have a Super Bowl party. You want to come over? 
Um, hey, we're just going to do dinner. I'd love to get to know you and your family better. Can we do a block party? Hey, it's the 4th of July, and every year we, we burn our own little fireworks show, and I know you guys do your own. Can we this year just kind of like bring all of our fireworks together and do a barbecue together and just kind of be neighbors? Or maybe that happens with your work, people that you work with or people that you know from a different context. For Jeff, it might be people he goes fishing with. You're beginning to see that this is not something that's locked to a specific neighborhood, that God places different people in your life, and only you, by the Holy Spirit's enablement, can identify them, and then begin to invest in relationship. And as you're investing in relationship with them, there's going to come a point where you go, man, if other people are watching my life, and how I live speaks more loudly than the words I say, then I should probably make sure that I'm investing in my own relationship with Jesus, right? Which is step five, be committed to growing in your own relationship with God which then drives you back into community and doing life and life groups and all that other kind of stuff, and it becomes cyclical so that we're always growing. So that's one tool. Another tool that we do is we, we have 30 to 40 minutes on a given Sunday to dive into God's Word, and so we are going to use specifically this year everything I'm choosing for us to, to explore helps us grow in thinking about our sphere of influence, which is why for about two-thirds of the year, we're going to take a slow journey through the book of Acts because we're going to learn how the early church lived this out. And I can't tell you, there are so many examples of the early believers living out, shining the light of Jesus Christ into their sphere of influence with the people that God has kind of sovereignly placed right around them. And we're going to learn from that and then unpack it in our life groups. And then later on in the year at this point, and it's always kind of written in in pencil because the Holy Spirit is totally welcome to go a different way. But later on in the year in September, we're going to start studying the book of Philippians because, man, there's not a letter of Paul that hasn't been impacting me more than that one lately. It's been challenged me greatly. <clears throat> so that, that's kind of the plan for the year teaching-wise. Thirdly, in your life groups, and if you're not in a life group, you're missing the best part of what we are about as a church. You're mes- missing the best place to grapple with your faith and grow. Plug that one more time. If you want to get in one, just mark it on your connection card and Pastor Jeff will make sure to help point you in the right direction this week. But in our life groups, we're going to add a new question at least, another wrinkle, and it's going to be a sphere of influence wrinkle. And that is we're going to begin by asking the question, how have you seen God moving this week in your sphere of influence? In fact, in your bulletins, if you pull out, if if you're taking notes, on the back there's always the homeward questions. Oh, thank you. Just turn it over. Oh, look at all those. Look at all those notes. Well done. You see the first question there? That's going to be a question you're going to find every week. It's going to be the first question we ask because what it does is it continues to put that in front of our eyes. God, how are you moving? You might even within your life group, the kind of questions we're going to start asking is, how does this inform the way that you invest into and approach your sphere of influence or even who you consider to be part of it? And that is a question we will keep asking. So even our life groups are moving and pulling in the same direction. Another thing that is, is in utero, but you're going to start seeing starting in February, is each month, beginning in February, we're going to start printing some cards at the beginning of the month that are intended to help you begin, just to, to give you some ideas of how you could intentionally pray for and love on people in your sphere of influence. On one side will be ideas of how to pray for your neighbors or, or the people in your spheres of influence, and on the other side will be tangible ways to love them. 
So let's just take February, for instance. In February, we've got a couple of things coming up. We have the Super Bowl. Cool. Commercials. Sweet. Right? Um, and then we have Valentine's Day. Well, I can tell you that Valentine's Day is, is, for many people, a very lonely time. It's a reminder of broken relationships or broken disappointments. So one of the ways we can tangibly pray for our, our neighbors is for those whose relationships are strained or for those whose hearts are broken. Those are some tangible ways we can pray for them, but tangible ways we can love them? Maybe writing a valentine to one of your neighbors just telling them that you appreciate them and you see them. Maybe it's have a Super Bowl party and invite some of the people in your spheres of influence to come, right? You're beginning to see how that might be helpful, and we're going to start developing that. And if you would like to help me, because I'm writing it, and then we're actually giving this, all of this also to Trellis, who's disseminating it to all the churches in Costa Mesa. So if you'd like to help me develop this tool, come and let me know, because I'd love some help. Um, Another thing that we're going to start doing is we are going to develop a team to come alongside people who are trying to to love on people in their sphere of influence. Because here's what I found. As I start to get to know what's going on in people's lives, I start to recognize. It's kind of like when I was walking down the street and I walked past that house and I looked at it and the the, the shutters were drawn and the, the bushes and the lawn was all well manicured and it looked put together, but you know on the inside there's hurt and there are needs. I just don't know them. But as you begin to get to know somebody, really know them, you begin to recognize the needs. And sometimes those needs are emotional and spiritual, but sometimes the presenting need is more tangible. And to be able to come along, it's almost like you feed somebody before you tell them to be warm and well-fed. It's like, no, help them get warm and help them have something to eat. And then you can walk with them. But sometimes the tangible needs we recognize, maybe it's a leaky faucet. Maybe it's some electrical issue that is endangering them in their house. Maybe it's like my buddy Tom who's on my list. Maybe it's somebody stole his truck and he doesn't know how to proceed. And so, you know, I I don't know how to fix pipes and I don't know how to fix electricity. I don't know how to help somebody with their budgeting all that well. And I don't necessarily, I'm probably not the best person you'd ask to buy a vehicle, but guess what? I know people who are good at all of those things. And you guys are sitting in here. And I know I'm the pastor, so I'm supposed to know these things better. But here's the best part. We are putting together a team of first responders. We're calling them this, like a neighboring response team that can help. So if you, as you're walking with somebody in your sphere of influence, recognize a need and you don't know how to, to tangibly help, but you want to help, you just reach out to Jeff and I and say, I need help. And then what we do is we let our network of people know and we can, they can come alongside. If you will send somebody, if it's budgeting, we can send somebody alongside who's good at budgeting that can walk with them. Not to take that person out of your sphere of influence and stick it in that person's sphere of influence, but to augment your ability to love that person. Does this make sense? So we're putting that team together. If you're interested and maybe you have a gift that you would love to just let us know you have that might be beneficial. Maybe you're the kind of person, I'm retired, but I love sitting with somebody bedside when, when, you know, I just love going and making visitations to the hospital. I love giving people rides to appointments because it gives me kind of time to get to know them. I love doing finances with people and I'm happy to help. I love cleaning and helping organize. 
you guys are gifted, and I'm grateful for all of those and many, many more. If that's you, on your connection cards, write that down. Let us know. It'll help us. And the best part is I began to share this with the Trellis crew. And by the way, if you don't know, Trellis is an organization within the Costa Mesa that kind of exists to help support all of the church in Costa Mesa. There's like 55 of us churches, and Trellis is there to support all of us. And so as I was sharing this with them, they're like, oh my goodness, Eric. First off, this is, what, this is one of the four things that we have recognized a desperate need in Costa Mesa. Trellis, there's four things they focus on. Education, um, prayer, which is always a really, probably should start there. Start with prayer, education, making sure every kid is reading at a third grade level or more. Um, neighboring, which is what we are, we're talking sphere of influence, but neighboring is a huge one. And then homelessness, those who are experiencing homelessness is a huge issue in our city. We're running all four of them. The best part is when I started sharing, man, I am passionate about this. Our church is running in this direction. Ian over at Trellis goes, Eric, we for the last several years have been trying to run at that too, but we're lacking a little bit of how to do it. Would you help us? And so we've been, even in the, in the first little bits of figuring this out, we are able to come alongside Trellis and help them. And here's the best part. They are already getting phone calls from the city saying, hey, this person over here is, uh, just got a citation for her yard. She's a widow, and if something's not done, she can't do it herself, she doesn't have the money to do it. If something's not done, she's going to lose her home. Can, can Trellis help? As we... We're not just forming this response team, this neighboring response team at the lighthouse level. We are actually going to be developing this at the trellis level so it benefits the whole church in Costa Mesa to be able to respond to the needs of our neighbors. And so if you're interested in participating, please let me know because I'd love to get you into contact with Sharon Hurd about that. So that's another way we're doing it. The last thing, and I know I've spent a lot of time, but these, I'm ex- can you tell I'm a little bit excited about this? tiny bit. The last thing that we are going to do, but this is not in any way the least important, this is one of the most important things, is we are going to get better at sharing stories of how God is working. Now, some of those stories are going to come out of your life groups as you're sharing how you saw God working. Some of you life group leaders need to help me begin to to collect and cultivate these stories so we can share them with our church. We found out last week about Kilby and what God did. But of course, if every story we shared was about somebody who was on their deathbed, who accepts Jesus Christ, we, the rest of us would be like, oh, I'm out, like totally dependent upon God's timing and stuff, which is true. So not all of the stories are going to be like that. Some of the stories are going to be about people who are in progress, who are just... It, our goal here is to take an idea and put flesh on it so that it's accessible, And then we're going to create space in our messages, not every weekend, but a lot of weekends to share the stories of how God is working. So today, to put this into practice, I'm going to invite um, one of our elders, Rich Rapoli, to come up. Rich, why don't you come on up here? Because Rich has been a part of this conversation since its inception in the missional pathway. Rich is also somebody who's been a part of this church for over twice as long as I've been a part of it. So he has been privy to a lot of the desires of previous pastors and my own desires to, hey, here's where we're going to run at. And he's seen both the, the, the positives and the negatives of that. And I just, I would love for him to share a little bit about uh, how this has already begun to shape your understanding of how you view your sphere of influence. Um, let, let me take a step back. Is it, can you hear me? 
Hey, let me take a step back. Like Eric said, uh, my wife Joyce and I have been part of this church for over 20 years. We were part of a, of a church of 250 that merged with um, First Baptist. I want to say it was like 1998. There's still some of us that, that are part of this church as our church family. Um, I've been on the elder board five times now. They just keep inviting me back. I don't know why, but they do. Um, I talked to Eric about sphere of influence, I think when he was walking the block and I was walking in the other direction, he was like a man on fire. As, uh, and then as things went along and, and things started solidifying in his mind, the sphere of influence became a major focus for him and the elder board. And the more he talked about it, I started feeling affirmed by, by the Lord that this was the right way to go. And, I, and I'll just share some examples. Um, I have a friend of mine that I grew up with. Met this guy when I was probably 10 years old. Um, he and I both lived in San Pedro, good friends. Uh, and then when we hit our 20s, he went to the service. We kind of drifted apart. I moved out of San Pedro. And I haven't seen this guy like in 25 plus years. Joyce and I were at a restaurant. We're leaving. I hear someone call my name. It's a, it's a young lady that used to work for me uh, a number of years ago. Her husband, a retired police officer, and he says, hey, he goes, I know a guy that you grew up with, and he talks about you all the time. And he said, I have breakfast with him every six weeks. I said, invite me next time you go. And he did. I hooked up with this guy. We spent two hours at breakfast and an hour and a half in the lot uh, talking about, hey, we're getting older, and you know, he's had some health issues, talked about God. And that was kind of my, my way in to this guy. Okay, and so we're going to meet up again and, and you know, just chat and be, get reacquainted. But the important thing for me is to get this guy to the Lord, okay? Spear of influence. Another example, um, at the gym, met a guy. Uh, he's a Cal fireman. And uh, I introduced him to Tony Pekka because he has some major health issues. He's only 40-some years old. Bad back, bad neck, shoulder, knee. I'm trying to pension him off, and the guy's struggling right now. But I've learned so much about this guy, his family, his kids, his business he's trying to put together. And we become good friends at the gym. Another sphere of influence. I was talking to, to Joyce the other day and said, we need to invite this guy and his wife, who I seem like I know her after talking with him and his two kids over to the house, fire up the pizza oven, you know, and get to know him even better. Sphere of influence. I love, and, by the way, the fact that your first thought is I need to invite him over to my home as opposed to I just need to invite him to church. Yeah. That's key. Well, and actually, this guy has, has showed up to two, two or three of the men's breakfasts <coughs> already. So um, another example, uh, we had a situation in our neighborhood where they were going to put a, a car wash in, which was about 40 feet from the residents, the entire 387 uh, residents in, in that track went up in arms, uh, got together, started meeting, went to city meetings, lost it at the zoning administrator's meeting. It was now being appealed to the um, planning commission. And during that process, we were meeting with these neighbors. It would be maybe 50, 60 families to get together. We culled it down to about six or seven that were just kind of to plan and organize this thing. And they met at our house. And, and, and we prayed about this at, at our Wednesday uh, prayer group and even at, at the elders meeting. Um, we said the only way, because these guys already won, and, and for us it would have been an uphill battle uh, to 
to make this thing go away. So we had meetings at our house with about six to eight people, and we opened in prayer. And I thought, you know, what the heck, it's my house. You know, the only one, that, the only one that's going to change this is God. God's, they're going to change his heart and minds. God will do it. And, and we pray. And three days later, I get a personal email letter saying, hey, we're pulling, we're pulling our permit. It was a total God thing, total God thing. But we, we prayed about this, and now uh, our neighbors, and I met people that I had no idea even lived in my track. Okay, one guy has a Bible study. He goes, what are you studying? You know, because I had to kick him out of the house. I said, hey, look, I don't want to be rude. Tuesday night, Bible study, you guys got to leave. And, and that Unless you kind want of, to stay. That, that, yeah, that kind of opened the door. Hey, I have a Bible study at my house. This guy lives on the other side of, of the track. So, but, but the bigger issue is, you know, we've lived in our, in our house now 34 years, small cul-de-sac. I know my neighbors, but I don't really know them. But there are certain ones now that, you know, we want to get closer. And Joyce mentioned today uh, having coffee. Hey, we need to have so-and-so and so-and-so over to the house, you know, get to know them a little better. Spirit influence. Mm-hmm. You know, the bottom line is how, do you, how, do you, how are you that light like the pastor's talking about where you, where you bring, you know, people to the Lord? The last example, and it just kind of hit me as I was coming up here, and, I, and I'm talking, the other sphere of influence, a lot of you know that Joyce and I, for the last five years, have brought two of our grandkids to church, Wyatt and now his little sister, Emmy. A lot of you here teach him and have taught him in, in the classes across the street. Well, those two little kids are our sphere of influence. didn't really hit me until I was coming up here. And that little guy, especially him, He'll pray for you on the drop of a dime. He asked me twice if he can come to the men's breakfast, and I took him. He's seven years old. And uh, he's sitting next to Tom Phipps. He, he actually uh, did better than Tom. He didn't have to go to the bathroom three times. Yeah. <laughs> he was sitting next to Tom Phipps, and we prayed for one of the guys here. We all extended our hand. Little Wyatt has his hand extended praying, praying for this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and this little guy is seeing men singing and praising the Lord. He's seeing men pre, uh, pray. He doesn't understand what we're talking about, but it's still influencing his life. Mm-hmm. You know, as he gets older, that he accepts the Lord and he walks, walks the walk. Yeah. Spear of influence. You know, I'm not a real emotional guy. I learned to be not emotional because of what I did. Um, but I'm excited about this. And, and I think this is, man, just a breath of fresh air from the way we've, we've not as been a bad thing, but from what we've done in the past, this is, this is exciting. Hmm. So with that, thank, thank you. you. Rich. <clears throat> One of the things that Rich shared with me out of getting to know his neighbors in his cul-de-sac, he's like, you know, every year for um, Trunk or Treat, he's the guy who's leading the team that's cooking five, 600 hamburgers for all of the people coming, Right. And he goes, I love doing that, but I realize that's pulling me and my wife away from the cul-de-sac where God has kind of planted us. And, and I was talking with one of the guys that was part of this gathering, and he was saying, what if we did something for our neighborhood? And Rich is like, I'm feeling like maybe I need to do that in Halloween. And here's the thing. I have another confession to make this morning, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up with this. Um, in the past, when it's come to something like these big functions, there will be some of you, like Dee and Connie, for instance, who live in a, on a street that does something for Halloween, and, and you're like, they're like, hey, we're so excited for, that, for what you guys are doing, Trunk or Treat, 
but let's be honest, we think that we need to be in our neighborhood. And I'm like, great, but in my heart, and I'm going, you're not really with us. You're not really supportive of the vision here, D. I know Connie would be here, but D is holding you back, right? Now what's happened in my mind is this complete paradigm shift where I've begun to recognize, no, D and Connie were out ahead of this. They have been living out the recognition that God has sovereignly planted them in a place and given them access to people's lives, that they won't step foot on this campus, but that's okay because they're already rubbing shoulders with the church. They are the light in their neighborhood. And if two, three years from now, we have to cancel trunk or treat because there's not enough people to be here because all of you have started saying, no, I need to be in my home. I need to put together a, you know, a, a block party. I need to pull that, rather than making hamburgers here, I need to pull my grill out to the front in my, in my neighborhood and make hamburgers for people as they're walking by. Or make some desserts and have a dessert table for the parents and coffee as they're walking by. I will celebrate it. That's how much this has shifted in my mind. Away from attractional, because we, not this building and not this campus, are the church. You beginning to see this? We are going to continue to lean into this. We're going to continue to grapple with it. It might cost us some things that we're really excited about and are really good things, like trunk or treat at some point. And until that happens, we'll keep doing those things. But how I always hope that we will act is we are going to hold everything loosely because everything we have is a gift from God. But it's His. And we are stewards of it. So Father God, help yourself to our lives. Help yourself to our time. Help yourself to our giftings. Help yourself to our treasures, the things we think we own. They're not ours, they're yours. Help yourself to them, to use them to advance your purposes and ultimately so that your light will shine and more and more of your image bearers will also recognize that they are your sons and your daughters and that they are loved. May, may you use us to be the light that pushes back the darkness. For your name's sake we pray. Jesus, amen.